Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. Twice a week, Musa and I talk about the goings-on in men's and women's football around Europe and sometimes around the world. We like to zoom in, we like to zoom out, we like to make some silly references. So if you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Think we got it? Yeah, that's good. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. And welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Verrier, and we are recording at the ass crack of dawn with Big Waz and Rob Mahoney, just so Waz can, what, go to Ralph's a little bit earlier today? No, I, I, all right, I'm going to tell on myself here. I wanted to go watch the World Cup um, semis at a place, and I wanted to have a little bit of time to get there. However, um, my friend already backed out this morning, so we did this for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you proposed it as if it was like an official thing, like you had no, to go no, for no, no, emergency said, dental it, care said, or something. I said, look, is it possible? Can we do this a little <laughs> earlier so I can go watch, you know, freaking Mbappe? Sorry, guys. This is what the people want, though, is Justin complaining that we have to record a podcast at 9.45 a.m. <laughs> Listen, I am not a morning person. It's it's very chilly in Los Angeles. It's tough to get out of bed. Some of these houses are just made out of paper mache. So like I'm constantly uh, freezing throughout the day. So I need to be nestled in the bed for as long as possible. Also, not being a morning person is very Northeast uh, coastal person of you, Justin. I know. I've, I've officially turned. <laughs> I had to buy a winter jacket the other day just to go back to the East Coast. So yeah. uh, I, I've That's officially uh, I, I've officially gone to the other side. Um, hey, before we get started here, uh, the ringer.com has a new feature out that I believe all three of us participated in in some form or fashion. Uh, NBA rankings You will find the top 100 rankings that we're going to update semi frequently uh, featuring Rob and a couple other people on staff. Uh, Tyler Parker's NBA trade or league pass value where he ranks NBA players based on entertainment value and sooner or later, Bill Simmons is going to chime in with trade value. So check that out. Very beautiful design. Uh, great stuff from all of our staff and all the designers here. 
Um, but today we are going to kick off NBA trade season because tomorrow, Thursday, the 15th is the unofficial start of trade season in the NBA. That's when 90% of of the players become trade eligible. So we are going to, like we typically do during this time, kick, uh, talk about five big questions as trade season begins. Rob, are you excited for the trades to start flying? It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm I'm going down my list. I'm checking it twice. I'm making sure all these teams get exactly what they need this trade season. We're jingling. We're jangling. We're uh, we're making trade rumors. Let's let's do it. Uh, first question I have on the docket here. Number one, uh, which of these four East teams should be thinking sell, not buy? And so I bring this up in part because the East is kind of a mess here outside of some of the top teams. It's, it's unlike the West. It's very defined at the top, but the rest is pretty garbled. Um, and so I have the four teams as the Toronto Raptors who are on a bit of a skid lately. Can't really score in the half court, the Washington wizards, Wozni's New York Knickerbockers and the <laughs> Miami heat was do any of these four teams jump out as you, uh, as a team that is probably better off in the long term selling and playing for the future. You know what jumped out at me at first is these are four teams who perpetually refuse to do the blow up. Uh, especially when you talk about Toronto, the Wizards in Miami, the Knicks, you know, they got a new regime in there. They decided to like try to draft some talent and develop talent and be a normal NBA team. However, Toronto and Miami particularly have been teams that in the past faced you know, rebuilds down the barrel of a gun and, you know, just straight up was like, no, we're not doing it, right? And and Washington, to their detriment, <laughs> have, have done that a lot in the past, you know, chasing seven seeds, uh, not trading Bradley Beal, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, the Knicks have done it for like 25, 30 years. So just like, yeah, let's, let's get Eddie Curry in here. Let's get Steve Francis in here. Let's do the most ridiculous, crazy thing. So that's what jumped out at me at first. But, you know, the team that sticks out, and I think it should be obvious to everybody's the Knicks. I, I think this, like, this idea that I should have Julius Randle sopping up minutes and, and, you know, not playing my young kids and seeing what they got and, and being just a, you know, a normal rebuilding team, uh, not chasing, maybe chasing a Donovan Mitchell, maybe chasing a, a quote unquote superstar who comes onto the market, but really staying in your lane as a team that's trying to, in the acquisition phase of a rebuild, um, yeah, man, I think the Knicks need to, yeah, figure out what to do with Julius Randle. Uh, get it in Tom Thibodeau's head that the kids should be playing, even if it's not happening fast and even if it's not delivering immediate wins. But the Knicks definitely stick out in my head. Toronto well, is just the most fascinating because I what think do you, they have the. What do you, what do you what do you think Fleischman would do? Do you think <laughs> do you think he would want the the Knicks to? As 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 a fan, or if he was in the front office, if he was the team doctor, what 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 are you asking me here? <laughs> the team doctor. Yeah. Also, you expect us to cover sports and pop culture on this podcast? Is that a thing we can do? <laughs> no, we're not allowed to do that. Um, no. So, Rob, where, where are you uh, on this list? Is it is it the Knicks for you? Are are you with Doctor Fleischman? Do you think that they need to make a big splash? I mean, the Knicks need to. They need to start thinning out for sure. I think where that conversation gets thorny is Fred Katz had a report for The Athletic that the Knicks were pretty open to the idea of like attaching Emmanuel quickly into trades to get off of Evan Fournier, for example. 
that's not it. That's not what you should be doing at all. And so like that, yes, they should be selling. Yes, they should be like trying to find homes for whether it's Fournier, whether it's Randall, whatever pieces you want to go through that roster. But you can't be giving up your good young players in the process. You know, that's where they, that's where they're kind of stuck right now. And ultimately they're a team that kind of needs to be reimagined more around Brunson and and depending on your your level of confidence in Barrett in particular, I'm I think pretty confident. I think he just needs space. Like he needs yeah. room to really be able to do something. And they've never really been able to give him that yet. And so the closer they can get to that timeline, to okay, we can actually get some some real room on the floor for our best young our, our best young driver. You know, I think Brunson's probably the best, most accomplished driver on that team. But in terms of a guy who can really get in the lane and make things happen. You want to see what R.J. Barrett can do. And we've only been able to see, I think, shades of it so far. So just for the sake of getting out of your own way, developmentally speaking, for a team that really isn't going anywhere, they jump out. They jump right off the page for sure. Yeah, I think they're really an interesting case study because they should be ostensibly star chasing. Like, And they probably are in the background, just hoping desperately that a CAA client will be disgruntled enough to want to go to New York and play for this dysfunctional franchise. But like, until that happens, like, what what is the move? Like, Do you just get a new coach and hope that he can make more sense of this roster? Was, are you like, are you more willing to even trade whatever it takes to get rid of Reno? Because maybe that will make sense of a roster. And then maybe you see what you have in RJ Barrett full like fully or what like do you bottom out again try to get a top pick like i what is the in-between move until we get this magical trade that solves everything this this is where the la familia dynamics of the caa situation um with the knicks begin to rear their ugly heads because i think in a different sort of gm and coach relationship a gm could just tell a coach to shut the hell up you're my subordinate i'm trading vets away and you're playing young guys because that's all that's going to be left right however i don't believe that that's the relationship between coach and gm here in new york city and so they're not gonna do that they're not gonna make moves without tibbs blessing they're not gonna force Tibbs' hands. Like, we've seen coaches complain about, oh, yeah, you know, I got these guys and I need a vet. And I'm like, we've seen coaches complain about that before because GM's incentives, and we, this is a classic trope, their incentives are not aligned with the game they game. It's more aligned with what's going to be the case in two to three years down the line. Whereas a coach, and naturally so, is living and dying with each and every outcome every single night. And so it's hard for him to sacrifice wins in the now and the misery that that losses bring um, with this idea that maybe one day these kids are going to be competent NBA players. And so I think in in a front office where the coach and GM weren't so damn buddy-buddy and familial, they they could do something different. But it feels something in the second complicating part, because we talked about Toronto, is that I don't think anybody... I think it'd be reasonable to say that Julius Randle is a better NBA player than OG Ananobi. However, OG Ananobi immediately makes every single contender better. I don't think that's the case for Julius Randle, and it makes it very hard to move him. You clearly haven't looked at our top 100 rankings. <laughs> <laughs> the Randle hate was, uh, was thick. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of healthy Julius Randle debate for exactly that reason, right? Like, he is a guy who is useful in a very select context, 
and ultimately is like playing too big a role for the Knicks for what is ultimately healthy for their ecosystem and would be playing too big a role for a lot of teams he would potentially be traded to. So I'm with you. And like that's one of the reasons why Toronto is one of the most interesting teams on the board because all, all of their core guys are useful to contenders, are useful to good teams. And, and, for the, <laughs> and I think could be useful to rebuilding or kind of middle of the road teams too as good vets, guys who bring a lot of energy, who have versatile and flexible games. Toronto is probably the hardest team to parse of these four to me because there's like the big question of can they even afford to keep this core together long-term? And if they did, where would it even go? And a lot of that depends on how good Scotty Barnes can be. And then there's the smaller question of do they just need like a couple of veterans to get through this season and make it a little better? You know, just like guys to shore up around the edges because, you know, that's a team that has struggled because they've had guys in and out of the lineup, but they've also struggled because they're just really shallow. Like they just do not have much depth to pull from. And so if you can get them one more big or one more guy who can shoot, could that be enough to kind of get them more into the thick of the East as opposed to, to really kind of scraping the play in group right now? So the Raptors are an interesting case study here because I think if you were to ask us a couple of weeks ago, I think we were pretty high on their early start. Siakam looked good. Um, they've had a couple injuries since, and I'm just a little bit more confused long-term what the vision is because Scotty Barnes in particular just seems out of place. And if anything, it just seems like he is a little upset with where he is in, in kind of the grand scheme of, of the Raptors future. I don't know if that's because he's being asked to be play more of a diminished role. I, I don't know what's going I on mean, there. He's but supposed I, to be the next Kawhi, so I can understand why he's annoyed by his diminished role. You can well, drink can at home. Do- it's early, but you can drink. <laughs> yeah, it's very early. Um I think it, we need to start asking some of the similar questions we were asking in preseason yet again, in part because of what Rob brought up. A lot of these guys have contracts coming up in the near future. And so, I, Waz, I don't know, where do you land on this? Now that you've seen a couple months of, of year two Scotty Barnes, are you as ready to be like, yeah, let's let's build around him and Siakam? Or, or like, what is the future, I guess? I mean, full disclosure, I've been a sell the pieces for parts since Kawhi left. Actually, that's a lie. After the, like, because Kyle was still there. So it was like, oh, okay, Kyle's still there. He's the greatest player in the history of the franchise. I think it's a nice thing to keep competence around him to be like, Kyle, we're not going to put you around a rebuild. We're not just going to ship you off to the highest bidder. I think karmically, that was a nice thing. They're showing in the bubble that season was freaking legitimately impressive. Uh, You know, I thought they were just, you know, just the coaching job, the effort, all of that. But basically, outside of that, I thought they should sell the stuff for parts basically since. You know, and and I respect the idea. And because I have a connection to a lot of Toronto Raptors fans online, um, I like the idea that the fans who really love this team get to watch a team that can win any game that they're in. Right. Not that they're championship contenders, but they never turn on a game and think our team has no chance to beat the the guys that are in front of them. I, I think there's a value in that. However, man, you know, it's been two and two years and change. Uh it might be time to pull the plug. Hold on. Yeah, I, I'm not over. I have a connection to Raptors fans online. Like, <laughs> what are we talking here? Yeah, well, no, there's just a lot of people on Twitter, like, who I've known for a minute. Okay, so what happened was, like, I was, like, the only... Uh, this 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 is a thing that happens in our job and online. It's like, I was the only person who thought that they would go to the finals 
the year that they got Kawhi. I was literally, I think there was a lot of Boston chatter that year. I forget. I was like, bro, the Raptors have easily, they got the best, most, the, the team makes sense. There's no holes on this team. They're going to go to the finals. And I did that really early. And, you know, fans are like, partisans are like, you say something nice about my team. I will lift you up and venerate you. You do the opposite. Uh, we all know so that. You have story. the keys to the city. Yes, now, pretty yes, much. Yeah. yes. I've been a okay. Toronto enthusiast since you know 2019 or whatever. I just think this stuff has run its course. So when Raptors fans lash out at you now, that's from like a deep seated <laughs> sense of yeah, abandonment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The thing about the Raptors though is like even if they do move some of those guys. I don't think they would be in sell mode per se. Like they would be like, can we trade OG Ananobi, for example, for other good players? Can we trade Fred Van Vliet for other good players? Like they would be looking to move laterally or up potentially. I I don't think they're really a candidate to like, you know, trade veterans for really young guys and tear down, even if they are ostensibly built around Scotty Barnes, which is not the case yet. Good players like who? Can I, can I interest you in a... Josh Hart, perhaps, and some accoutrements adding on. Can I interest you in any of that, Rob? And a moose that type of, good of Jeremy player? Grant, potentially. Yeah. Look, there's lots. There's lots of options on the board. Like, honestly, like this is a team. To your point, was like they really can beat anybody any night. They really are so versatile. They just need like a little more room to breathe to make that stuff work. Well, what do we think big picture about just their general approach here about, about just getting like five, six, eight guys who can handle a little bit and do a little bit of everything? Like, are, are we worried at all that that has certain limitations? Because it sounds like part of what you guys are saying is like they had a true center every now and then it might make at least certain matchups maybe a little bit easier. I mean, if one of those guys could shoot better, if one of those guys was Trey That's Murphy. Is that a big deal? You know, like I, I think Murphy they'd be rose a... like five inches every time I see him. He just looks. Do you think he's like bringing the hem up on his shorts or on his jersey? Because like the arms just keep yeah. getting longer and longer. But yeah. see, my thing with the six eight guys who run around and you know they're all tarantulas and all of that is, you still need reliable shot creation. Like all of that stuff around, you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry. Uh, you know, these guys that can reliably get you shot creation and create advantages, that's when that stuff becomes magnified. Like, just in and of itself, you get what you've got in the last few games, which is stuck in the mud half-court offense, right? And so I don't mind the, the, the approach, but, you know, there was whispers that they were interested in Donovan Mitchell. There was whispers that they might have gotten in, gotten in on a Bradley Beal kind of thing if that would have opened up. And so I think that's where it becomes, you know, a more tenable route for building your roster is when you got somebody, when you have offense, reliable offense. I think Occam's Raptor will probably end up being that I... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Scott, that, somebody must stop this man immediately. Oh, boy. I, th- I think ultimately we will get to a point where we say, I don't know if Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam should really exist in the same offense unless one of them develops a significantly better jump shot. And like maybe that happens with Barnes. Maybe they augment them with the specific pieces they need there. But like I think they occupy too much of a similar role and there's two similar type of players that it's ideal for both of them to be alongside each other. 
I don't think they need to figure that out now, but I think long-term that might be their biggest question on the board. Yeah, and, and that's, where, that's where it makes them hard to judge because how much of what Scotty Barnes is going through right now is just a young player in a slump and kind of in a weird rut or how much of it is something kind of endemic to the build of what they have and the opportunities he's getting and wouldn't change unless you make some kind of move or shuffle the deck or make a trade like that. That's a real question you have to consider at this point because Barnes, he's been in such a weird space and the team as a result has been in a pretty weird space. Right. Anything about the Heat or the Wizards here? I feel like both of them, despite what we might want for them, are probably pot committed to to the now, unless the Wizards, for some reason, just decide that the Bradley Beal thing isn't for them anymore. Yeah, I think the Wizards are, at least from our perspective, on the outside, as people who aren't invested in the team, feel like pretty much the I, maybe even an easier call than the Knicks in terms of being yeah. a team that should be selling. And some of that is, look, they had been doing okay, but they're on a stretch right now where they've lost 10 of 11 games. And some of that has been not having guys in the lineup, but like, look, the facts on the ground are they're just a couple games out of really being in the tank race right now. And Chris Porzingis is playing the best basketball he's basically ever played. And they should completely be open to trading him. If there's, if there's a team on the board who wants him, like that's where they are. That's what they should be looking at. And Kyle Kuzma, I, I, I know for a, like there's no way he's taking that player option next season for $13 million. There's no way he should, or if he should, his agent, like we need to have a conversation about what the market is for Kyle Kuzma. That's a really attractive player who should be interesting to a lot of teams. And the idea that the wizards would sit and hold on him because he is good, because they might be okay over the course of this season. I just don't see the path there. I don't, I don't see what goes, through, what, if that's the route you're going to take, where are you ending up? That's anywhere of value, even in just like a, can we be a good team for a long time? Like, I just don't really see that outcome for them either, much less be a contender. Also, the heat have never been opposed to bring it to Miami. They've never been opposed like, Oh, we're a five or six seed. All right, cool. We got to, you know, trim the margins to not go crazy with the luxury tax. I know a lot of ink has been spilled about um, Andy Ellsberg and how much of a genius he is with that stuff. But it's true. They do it every single time. Every time. Every time. So they're just going to do those snip snips. They're not going to do some, you know, figure out a home for Lowry and, and get rid of Caleb Martin and all. They're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, like they're, they're going to just do the stuff around the edges. They feel like they're on the other side of the standings game, too, right. where we're saying the Wizards are only X games out of the tanking race. The Heat are only like three and a half games out of a home court spot. And do I think they're going to get all the way there? No, but they're going to be better than 10th place where they currently sit. Yeah. If they sold, what would Pat Riley do at his end of the season press conference? Like he couldn't charismatically talk about like how they only star chase and that's the biggest thing that they do and they're not going to change that, et cetera, et cetera. It's always great. It's always great theater. Um, but yeah, no, the, the he cared too much about core exercises. They don't really... You're really getting to the rebuild stuff. Um, just, all right, let's look to the core. Is this anti-core strength? Calisthenics now. <laughs> what is this guy doing today? No, I, I just think like all of, of heat culture is them just like working out really rigorously and it's just like, all right, we get it. Um, all right. Number two, let's flip to the West here. Fewer teams I could find here in part because everyone is so mashed in the middle and also because it just feels like a lot of these teams, it's pretty clear cut that they're in for the now. You have teams like even the Timberwolves who made splashy trades in order to get in on the mix this year but didn't. Or you have a team like the Grizzlies or the Pelicans who are very clearly ready to win now. Um, But 
I want to bring up the Blazers, a team that is now 15 and 12, fifth in the West, but is on a bit of a hot streak. I think it can go other uh, one way or another. The Vance metrics don't love them as particularly on defense, but they've had some injuries. So like, I don't know where they are, Rob. Do you see a clear pathway for the Blazers this season? Are they more of a seller or would you be buying? Do you believe in this team? Basically, they're def. I mean, they're definitely buying whether we would want them to or not. And honestly, I think they should be like if you have a guy like Dame Lillard committed to your team and under contract and he's saying, let's push for this thing, then you push for this thing. And Jeremy Grant's been good enough. Anthony Simons has been good enough. Like the contours of the team can be a little shaky at times, but I like the length that they have. I like some of the defensive performances they've been able to put together. They're just another one of these groups that hasn't been able to like fully stabilize. Yeah, let me let me just give the counter there. I, I think like you could still be committed to Lillard long term, but maybe play this out a little bit more over the course of two, three seasons as opposed to maybe like taking advantage of it now. I think it ultimately comes down to like, do you think a Shaden Sharp next year is going to give you what you need that you could potentially get on the trade market? Do you believe in the long term future of the Lillard Simons backcourt that you're not like, do you want to trade picks in order to be good now? Do you want to trade a sharp to be good now? Or do you want to play this out over three years? Hope that Lillard could still be good at that point. Not good, but by great. the way, Waz favorite shade and sharp. I just want to take a little, this is a slight victory lap. I was really high on the pick. I, I, I thought he should have been at least the third pick in the draft, but that's neither here nor there. But you, I think you're onto something. Um, I think if Dame is going to die a blazer, <laughs> you know, uh, you don't <laughs> necessarily court, yeah. have you don't necessarily have to take an immediate approach if that's going to be the case. And, you know, but I think this but I think the truth remains the same with Portland. They need to get some big wings. I like Josh Hart. They have a some. Lot. They have some now. They do. They do. I like Josh Hart a lot. I like Anthony Simons. I, you know, he might be a bit of a TJ McCollum, TJ McCollum regurgitation, but you know, that's neither here nor there. I, I really like Anthony Simons. I think Anthony Simons, excuse me. I think though, they still need more big wings. Um, it, it, it's just a matter of when they get to the playoffs, if Dame's gonna be playing 44 minutes a game, you gotta put big wings out there next to him to defend these these monsters that they have to go up against. And so if that's the case, that's what they should be in the marketing. And I think it is the Kuzmas, I think it is the OGs, I think it is many of the guys we've already mentioned. I think the reality is Dame is a 32-year-old point guard with a pretty extensive history of abdominal injury at this point. It's not gonna get any easier for him from here on out. You know, bad core is what you're saying. Look, you're you're the one who's saying we shouldn't be <laughs> stretching out. We should be heat. building that Maybe strength. He needs to go to the heat and get, <laughs> yeah, get one of those rollers. Yeah, <laughs> it is a tough spot though because Shaden Sharp, based on what we've seen so far, looks like the kind of prospect who, if you trade too early on him, you could really oh, regret God. it. Like he he he's hitting the first wall of clearly capable player. Teams are starting to figure him out and adjust a little bit, but like he has the tools to hurdle over those walls, to drive around those walls. You know, like he has that kind of game ultimately. And the Blazers are in that position where they have they don't have like a bunch of picks out the door in terms of like things they can't trade. But the pick that they've traded is so conditional that whatever team you're trading another pick to doesn't even know when that pick's going to come. It's like a two years after the debt you already owe situation at earliest. Right. So that makes it hard to like really execute some super sophisticated deal to get 
someone as good as OG Ananobi, for example. Right. Also, Jeremy Grant having kind of a another breakout year somehow. I think this is like his fourth breakout year. Uh, He's due a contract next offseason. And I think it's pretty telling that he hasn't signed an extension or anything right now because he could probably cash in pretty significantly. Um, So just to uh, to pull back, just to pull back the curtain on the top 100 process, if you want to know what the opposite end of the Julius Randle spectrum was, it was when Jeremy Grant's name got brought up and all of us are just unanimous. We love this guy. He fits on so many great teams. Uh, Just an incredibly talented and versatile and capable player. Shout out to Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Is he higher than LeBron? Ultimate, did he might he end be. up? And you know, he, yeah. he, he, he could be a climber. <laughs> yeah. What about Jakob Pertle for the Blazers? Someone you fortify your defense, presumably isn't going to cost you a ton. Uh, and that's kind of maybe like a stopgap with an eye toward the future there. The problem, of course, is he's also due a new contract. And I don't know how deep uh, Blazers ownership is willing to get into the luxury tax, especially because of how shaky the long term future of the ownership looks. But I think just based on X's and O's, he would make a lot of sense, in my opinion. So is he replacing Nurk in this scenario, or is he filling the Drew Eubanks role? <laughs> well, one or the other. Um, pretty, I would, those are pretty different things, though. Because you're you're saying their issue is with the bench minutes, or or what? Well, I'm saying like if, if you're using your resources to get a pretty good center when you already have a pretty good center. And I, I, th- I think a lot of Jakob Pertl defensively, certainly, but... Is that fixing the problem here? Like, are you really addressing your fundamental needs if that's kind of where you're pouring your your attention and your resources? And just to be clear, you think fundamental needs are more wing defenders? I think yeah, I think it's defenders at other positions. Like, look, if, if Yusuf Nurkic were a better defender, obviously that would help if, the, like, if they can stabilize the defense there. But unless you're also trading Nurkic for other good players, I feel like you're probably squandering some of what the roster already has if you're just importing... Jakob Pertl for a pick and whatever. Hmm. I think Jakob Pertl's a good defender. I think they need to get like straight up defenders in there. You know, when you when you when you're at What's the difference t- between a good defender and a straight up defender? <laughs> he, um, he has verticality. <laughs> I I would say like Kevin Herter. He's good at defense. He's not like you're not going to just destroy the guy just because he's a white American, right? Like, he's he's going to hold up pretty good. He's got size, moves his feet dis- decently well. He tries. He's a good defender. He's not, like, a, a specialist. Or I shouldn't even say a specialist. Nobody would ever consider him for all defense. You know, um, on certain teams, he might even have to sit for defensive possessions. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. Like, he's good enough. He's not going to be a sieve. He's not going to be a drag on the current defense. I think they need guys that are going to be value adds to their current defense. Because, tw- again, 23 is 23rd in the league is not going to cut it, mm. you know, for the kind of success that they dream of having. Are you guys higher on a Miles Turner in this situation? Or should I just abandon the idea of improving on center altogether? <laughs> You're just trying to trade Miles Turner everywhere, as is our tradition. And I, I want you to know I see it and I respect it. <laughs> it's literally the entire I, NBA is doing the same thing. So we're just following. I, you know suit. what? Look, I, I, I used to I used to enjoy the idea of Miles Turner over there um, just because of the pick and pop stuff. But and and you know, ultimately I would sour on it because I'm like, ah, when they do the two on the ball, is he a good enough playmaker? He's flashed some of that dribble stuff 
this year in Indiana that I never really thought that he had. Not that he was allowed to do it because they were so obsessed with Sabonis. But I'm just saying, like, he's shown more ball skills than I realized that he had. However, I just don't, I don't know if that's an ideal fit. They need interior stuff too, to be honest with you. Like Dame and Simons are both very perimeter-oriented players in terms of pull, like great shooters, obviously. Jeremy Grant kind of already gives you offensively what Turner would and then some. Like he's just been a knockdown three-point shooter this year. Obviously has a lot more to his game than that. We just need somebody going inside a little more. Like we, we need more interior players and ideally you need someone who has more going on going to the basket than Nurkic does in terms of like those kind of soft isn't the right word, but like they're just these little dinky floaters and runners that yeah, I'm, I'm confused by Nurkic's game. He doesn't convert at a super high rate. I will put it that way. Yeah. I'll just mention briefly, not wouldn't help him offensively, but the mitten is expected back in one to two weeks. So uh, maybe that'll help nice. a little on the defense. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's nice. enough of a, of a bump in order to get him through the season. Um, all right, let's move along. Number three, why the hell did the Lakers not trade for Boyan Bogdanovich two months ago? Do you think there's a guy in every front office of every team in the NBA asking why didn't we trade for Boyan Bogdanovich two months ago? It's possible. Um, you know, I think there's a, a legitimate reason why the Lakers didn't because let's just assume for a minute that the Jazz just didn't want Russell Westbrook's contract back or they didn't want picks because it seems like the Kelly Olynyk renaissance is, is actually going well for the Jazz. So maybe they like had a preference there. Ainge obviously drafted him to the Celtics. Maybe the Jazz didn't want Westbrook. So maybe there's like a practical reason. On the other hand, it seemed like a lot of the Lakers inaction was driven by the fact that they didn't want contracts that extended into this coming offseason in order to have the cap space in order to make a splashier move. Unfortunately, Boyan now is on uh, a two-year extension at 39 million over those two years. So that would cut into whatever presumable uh, like big cap space they would have to get a big fish. But now we're here where every rumor has the Lakers interested in Boyan. So I'm a little confused was, I don't know if you have any more uh, insight here. This on, I just, I mentioned this on an earlier pod. If people don't remember, but you know, uh, people were familiar with some of the thinking around the team. When I talked to him at the time was like, there's there's a perception within the front office that they keep getting creamed on trades and they didn't want to, quote-unquote, lose a trade. Mm -hmm. And that's why you saw some of this, what felt odd, especially for that front office group, this, like, hardball stance of, like, no, we're not going to trade the second, another first. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Where, you know, back when they were trading every single wing, usable wing that they had, there was none of this um, gun-shyness. Gun but I think that's what it was. They, they didn't want to be perceived to be getting fleeced on another trade. And they started trying to play, quote-unquote, hardball with teams. And, of course, Danny Ainge told them to, you know, go up the river. So I wouldn't be surprised that they've now come around to the fact that, you know, this team needs upgrades and they should be willing to do a little bit more uh, ego and pride be damned. However, I think the funniest, the funniest thing of all of this is I'm scrolling through Instagram and shouts to my man, Sham, Shams Charania, one of the best at what he does, but he's breaking news. And the breaking news is that the Los Angeles Lakers were in the market for shooting. Mm. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, guys, is he wrong? I was like, guys, 
Get uh, that, is, yeah. that is like saying I'm in the market for Rihanna. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, okay, duh, of course you are. <laughs> You're horrible at it. We all know you need it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's tough to watch games like last night's uh, overtime loss to the Celtics, where it's just like you had a little bit more. And I, I'm a broken record at this point, so I'll stop. But like AD basically just ran out of gas and that was the the problem with that game last night. If it just had like another guy to do literally anything offensively, I, I think they would be in much better shape already. Yeah, and Bojan's a guy who not only is he going to fill it up himself and be like a nice third or, or fourth or second scorer in some lineups, depending on what you need, but he's going to make... LeBron's life easier. He's going to make 80s life easier. He's going to make it so that at the end of the games, your best players aren't running out of gas. But I mean, I would say if anything, if we're, if we're kind of doing the revisionist history thing with the Lakers, as far as like, should they have traded for him when they had the chance or glossing over is probably the fact that Olenek is more valuable than any supporting Laker. And so it's not like the jazz got nothing. You know, they, they didn't get a pick back in the initial Bogdanovich trade, but they did get a pretty good player. And it was at a time, as we've discussed, where like the Lakers were star hunting. They were like kicking the tires on Kyrie and trying to figure out if that was a viable thing or not. I don't know. They were just in a different place. They were they were not ready to have the Boyan Bogdanovich conversation clearly when the Jazz were ready to have that conversation. They hadn't tried ayahuasca yet. They hadn't been to Coachella. You know, no. they're, they're <laughs> different now. <laughs> yeah, I think you may have dream catchers in that in, one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and dream catchers over all over their uh, the bedroom now. Um, anything else about the Lakers? I mean, we, we've talked about them a lot. Is there any other new wrinkle that you guys are seeing out there? Absolutely not. Let's keep it moving. Okay, <laughs> I'll just say big biggest thing in the NBA, but somehow it's it's only not obvious to the Lakers. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Number four here, I have a list of players here who are, surprisingly enough, uh, more in trade rumors than probably even Miles Turner. Uh if traded, which of these rumor mill all-stars would make the biggest impact on the title race? And so I will ask you to consider not only where they could end up, but their role, the price it would take to get these sort of guys. So all the contacts added here. Um, so we have Bondanovich, we have Jay Crowder, John Collins, 
Eric Gordon, Kyle Kuzma, Miles Turner, Nikola Vucevic. Rob? You're basically asking us, like, if these guys were to be traded, who would we still be talking about in May? Like, who would, st- who would be a relevant factor in the outcome of the season, right? Yeah, like, who is going to swing the title race the most? Considering that the title race is now, like, five to six to seven teams deep at this point, unless you believe that the Celtics are just runaway favorites or the Bucks. Like, I, I think it's possible if a team makes a marginal move, it could have a big impact, I guess is what I'm driving toward. For me, it's Kuzma. And that's because he's made himself, he's made himself into the kind of player who could be really attractive to winning teams specifically. And you, you look across the board. Phoenix has been linked to him. I think Miami would make a lot of sense for him. I think Memphis would make sense for him. Philadelphia, Dallas. Like there's a lot of teams you could see Kuzma plugging into what they do. And between the cutting and the intuitive play, being able to connect dots, like he's not quite as good a shooter as you would want him to be, but he's a good defender with a flexible game who could play and guard multiple positions. Lots of teams could use that. And and you like the Wizards may ask a lot for him, but his salary is as such where you don't have to have a ton of ballast just to get a deal done. Like they, it seems plausible that he could wind up on, on a team in the conference finals by the end of the season. Yeah. I, first of all, why the hell, what the hell is Nikola Vucevic doing on this <laughs> list? That's the one get him out of this list. That's not a guy who helps the team win a championship. That's never going to be a thing. It's never going to happen. Um, just had to, just the, just the obligatory Vucci, Vucci man hate just had to <laughs> yeah. come out of me. But yeah, I'm I'm still John Collins, man. I, I just like his ability to guard threes and fours, vertically space, every now and again make an open jump shot. I just think in the playoffs, man, where everybody's switching everything because everything redounds to this one-on-one stuff. It and it, it when he's locked in, he's so good at the perimeter stuff. He's so good at being physical, close to the basket. Like, he's not just going to get bullied. I think that specific skill set, when you get into the nitty-gritty and you get into the trenches, so to speak, uh, is so valuable in a playoff series. And it's, a you know, a little bit of rim protection. I, I just really, really still believe in the potential of John Collins, man. And as far as what to give up, I think, I think John Collins... On a team that's clearly destined for the playoffs, a first and a, you know a, a protected other first. Why not? He's he's hell? gettable. John Collins is gettable. Let's be Come honest. On. Well, go on and save John Collins, y'all. The toughest, despite uh, Atlanta's willingness for the past twenty years to trade John Collins, uh, he does make a sizable amount of money, $23.5 million this year, which makes it more difficult. And I think that's where the tricky part of this question comes in. If I, as the question maker, can, can step outside mm. for, for a second here, because... Show us the craft. Yeah, think- behind. Show us the craft of really, <laughs> really building this thing, Justin. <laughs> well, if you're trading for Collins, Rob, you got to aggregate stop. the salary to, to, to acquire him, which I think is going to be tough, which is why I would say Jay Crowder, not the best player on this list, but presuming that he just hasn't been eating Takis on the couch all like past two months and playing video games with DeAndre Ayton, uh, which I doubt he's doing these days. Like, I just feel like he is the easiest fit to a lot of teams, which is why I think you see him in a lot of rumors. It's like, oh, the Bucks, he, he could just be a plug and play defender, three point shooter. Yeah, he, yeah. 
the Hawks even like, I, I think he could fit into a lot of situations and instantly make a difference. Well, the reason you see him in a lot of rumors is because he hasn't played for his team yet. Yeah. Yeah. But he's always in rumors like every, yeah, every single it's year true. for the past decade. He's he has played been for in a, a lot of teams now. Yes. <laughs> like, so it's not just that he's in rumors. He's always getting traded. But it certainly would fit the bill that like all he does basically is get traded to teams and those teams make a deep playoff run and then they kind of get sick of whatever it is that he's doing there and they move yeah, on. And that's the remember, cycle. I just remember, seem to remember Jay Crowder saying his shooting percentage was down in Cleveland because of LeBron's pass placement. The ball placement on LeBron's passes was why he was in a shooting slump. I remember him saying that. I was like, this is a special, special kind of cat. Mm. <laughs> this, is, this is the same LeBron who historically could put the seams exactly where he wanted on a cross-court pass. That's the LeBron you're talking about? Yeah. Imagine what Reeves can do if LeBron could actually pass, you know? <laughs> Shooting 50% out here. Um, any of these other guys jump out to you? Rob, Eric Gordon, still have anything in the tank? Uh, who else? We talked about Turner. I mean, I think most of these guys would be useful. Yeah. It's, it's just... Eric a, Gordon for sure. Yeah. It's just a gradation thing. Like, Eric Gordon... Absolutely viable for a lot of contending level teams. Plug and play guy, really simple, still a good defender, still a good shooter, still has a little bit of juice off the bounce, which is nice and facilitation. And he can kind of like help babysit some second units that might not have enough shot creation too. like that's a that's a useful player for a lot of really good teams. Eric Gordon is like a sensible, more washed version of what Jordan Poole currently does. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what is that? What is a sensible defense? version of Jordan Poole? Like I don't know. I don't know how to. Right, you, we've never seen that. it. <laughs> There's no proof of that concept. Yeah. Well, here's a question. Let's flip this to the other side of this. Are there any teams that are now in the thick of the title race? You guys could see is like they're one player away, or they need one of these guys, and it makes sense for them to do it. Like I'm looking at teams like the Suns, who are now, as uh, according to Shams, Waz's favorite newsbreaker, uh, connected to Gordon in a potential Jay Crowder trade. Are they the type of team, considering that their recent skid, five losses in a row at the time of this recording, like would they they make sense as a team that would need him? Are the Warriors I think, I think Memphis, going to jump in? I think Memphis yeah. with a little bit more shooting would would be, yeah, that becomes a, a really scary and dangerous proposition because, you know, newsflash, nobody's going to be able to stay in front of John Morant come April. Like, that's not a thing that's going to change. Um, he's going to attract a lot of defense. And so if you get some some legitimate shooting around what he's going to be doing in the playoffs – that becomes something to definitely, definitely look at. Because if they could stay as athletic as they are and as physically um, sort of imposing as they still are while adding some shooting to what they do, yeah, I like I like what Memphis could do with a Kuzma, with a bogey, quite honestly. I think he would be a nice fit in Memphis, Bogdanovich. Um, so, yeah, definitely Memphis. You can see how Phoenix got there on Eric Gordon, though. Like, how, how they got into that conversation and, like, is this a guy we need? Because you look out on a, a nightly basis if you're the Suns, and it's like, this is a lot of Tory Craig and Josh Akogi and, yeah. like, Landau. We're, very de- yeah. we're very dependent on Landry Shamit some games. Like, I, that is a little tenuous from a playoff standpoint in a way that a shorthand like Gordon would feel feel pretty good to have around. Might have property from when he thought he was going to the Phoenix Suns, like, 
eight years ago now. <laughs> Is that well, a, you, gotta buy, you gotta buy early. We know that. <laughs> right, yeah, you probably made a killing off of that deal if you did buy. Um, I'd like to mention that the Memphis Grizzlies have the same exact record than the Pelicans, who I'm pretty sure... Uh, are on route to what is it? 80 wins this year in an Olympic medal. Uh, also the new Michael Jordan MVP trophy award, the Wilt Chamberlain, whatever the fuck award they got all of those. So that's great. When are we, can we pencil in a Grizz pod? Like just a full start to stop. Like, let's just go hard on the Grizzlies. I love the Grizzlies. If you'll remember, I, I picked them as a sleeper team in the West during our tiers our title tiers. Were they in like your eighth tier? What was that? (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it was more like sixth or seventh. Um, All right. Last question on the docket here. More kind of big picture. um, Because as I'm going through some of these teams who need like the star in order to bring them into the actual title hunt, I kind of find myself wavering and thinking like, is that really the path to success these days? We talked about in the past with some of the teams like the Nets and the Lakers who kind of fell on their face uh, as a result of star trades uh, that have not aged well. But uh, I'm thinking more like the, the Timberwolves these days, the Westbrook trade, obviously, but even the Jante Murray trade hasn't been gangbusters for the Hawks, even though they have been better. And so Rob, my question is, should teams be more wary of trading for a star or in parentheses and then air quotes, a star uh, given recent prices for some of these deals and some of the recent flubs? I'm not sure they're going to have a choice on whether to be wary or not. And there's two things kind of powering that one is, the market is now tilted by the other side of those deals where the Thunder and the Jazz and the Spurs have a lot of draft capital. And if they see somebody they like, they're going to be able to set the market for what those those players are getting. And it may be another four or five first round picks because they have those picks to spare. And so if you're another team who wants to get in the market on star player X, you might have to be able to match that offer, at least get close enough to it that the teams that have those stars currently will entertain entertain your calls even. But I think the other th- part of it is just like the NBA is the ultimate, but this could work for us league where mm-hmm. draft picks mean different amounts to every franchise. And some teams always think like, if we can just get this one guy, if we just get this one star in the door, they can completely change the shape of everything we do. You know, the Hawks and, and the Wolves weren't like the only teams that were desperate to get better. And the, and the more that the standings are clustered the way they are, the more that some team is going to look at this and say, this is our time. Like we just need Brad Beal. We just need Zach Levine. We just need whoever it is you want to throw into that conversation. Yeah. I think what's interesting, I think the wolves and the Cavs are interesting case studies because the wolves actually achieved way more than the Cavs did last year, but they had to give up so much more to get their superstar into the door. And I think that's sort of with a, you know, the rubber meets the road, if you will, if I'm using that expression that I only ever hear white people use, right? Um, Rob. I think... <laughs> Check the tapes. I've never said where the rubber meets the, meets the road on this podcast. <laughs> um, I, I think, man, it, it's, it's, it's tough. Like, you really have to be good at self-evaluating. I think the Cavs were really good at being like, yo... We're not, you know, close to a championship, but man, it's really exciting where we could get to with Donovan Mitchell and and without him. It's going to be really exciting what we do. I think the Wolves, for whatever reason, and because they've had so much less 
recent success. That might play into it, right? The Cavs have won a championship in 2016. They've been going to the, like, their fans have been in front office and ownership has experienced playoff runs. Granted, all with LeBron, one guy, did all of that. But there's, a like, a feeling that they've had some measure of success over there. And the desperation wasn't as palpable as the Wolves, who they they got rid of Kevin Garnett and have not mattered since, you know? And so they were just way more desperate to do it. So I guess, like, like Rob said, like, you got to value what's important to you and why. And that's going to be different for every single franchise, which is, a you know, a... a, a a very uh, cowardly way of me saying, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I think you got to take it by a case-by-case case basis. I, I love what the Cavs did. I really do. I think they paid a fair price. They gave up a lot of, you know, future uh, draft equity for it. But I think the potential of what they could do with the group that they've assembled is legitimately exciting and worth what they did. The the Wolves, um, I don't like one of their main guys. I don't like Carl Anthony Towns. So it, it's almost like, you know, trying to giving up all of these things, these things to build around that dude. You know, I, I don't know. What would Austin Rivers say? Your partner in crime about this, this <laughs> bull <My> dog. <laughs> well, I think one of the interesting kind of subplots of this is like, I, I don't even know who the stars are that teams will trade for Like there isn't an obvious target for one of the first times in a while. And maybe that's just a matter of like what we know in the public versus what is burbling below, beneath the surface. Like we did not realize that DeJounte Murray was like an obvious candidate as, as much as he turned out to be just because of the way his contract lined up and it was going to be impossible for the Spurs to probably retain him long-term. And so that came up later. And so maybe that happens, but also like the teams that, need like very clearly need that one star are it that's also tough to identify like the Mavs as we talked about last pod probably are the biggest culprit if only because you have Luca on his second contract and so there's an obvious clock that is ticking but like I was struggling to find another team the Knicks I guess just because they're thirsty for a star dating back decades <laughs> um like the Kings maybe but like even they have something good going so like why would they screw that up and so I don't know. It's a very Kings weird... would trade their best guys. No, excuse me. These, these are teams that need a star. So like the Kings, oh, like okay, I see, I see. that could like, yeah. Like why would the Grizzlies, for instance, trade a lot of their good depth for like a Zach Levine? You know what I mean? That, that doesn't make oh, sense. So there's crazy. like all of the, the rush to be good now has created all these teams that don't actually need star. And you might even advocate for the fact that like, maybe they're better off just where they are. And so it's a very weird dynamic on the market right now. Yeah, I think where you can get into a tricky place with some of this is like, we need a star, period. It almost doesn't matter who it is. Like, if, if you feel the need as a franchise to add a signature player, add star power, add somebody who's going to put butts in seats if you need like your attendance up, that's dangerous. And that's how you get into like, okay, we're just kind of throwing picks at a player to be named later versus this is the one guy with the kind of skill set who can change our team. And there, to your point, there aren't those guys right now. And some of that is by virtue of looking at the bottom of the standings. Those aren't teams with veteran players anymore. Like the Rockets, other than the Eric Gordon types, don't have a lot to spare. You know, the Pistons, the Magic, these teams have already been kind of scraped of their veteran guys who would be star level acquisitions. So they're all kind of like coming along, you know, getting to good development time for their young players, getting those opportunities, losing lots of games, but they're not like dangling a really good player who's just waiting to be set free. Here's the one caveat team wise, and I'm curious what you think here. It would be the Warriors. Obviously, the two-track conversation we've had 
30 times over the past year. But we're now standing in a place. It's it's still very (laughs) relevant. They're 14 and 14 as of recording this podcast. 10th in the West, two spots above the Lakers. And so like, are you more convinced if like a Bradley Beal comes on the table that like, Hey, Clay Thompson, thanks for the history. We're actually going to turn the page and we're going to take, we're going to make the most out of Steph Curry's prime, you know, nah, or extended prime, wherever we are I, here. I'm not. And you know, the interesting thing, I think the fun thing about following the league too is, is watching these trends happen over time. Right. We all remember that time where people would just pick hoarding where nobody would get rid of a first round It was just like, oh, this is the most valuable thing you can even have, even if it's the 24th pick. And, you know, you're just getting the reincarnation of Frederick Weiss. It's so valuable, right? Like, we we went through that era, and then we've moved into this sort of, you know, let the picks fly, right? Like, we don't care about picks number 25. We don't really care about picks from 12 on honestly um like to watch the Knicks just straight up trade out of the 14th pick just for the potential of maybe doing something and nobody was just like wait what aren't you a rebuilding team like it's gotten to that point with picks um and the same is to be said about like a sort of inertia that would creep into most NBA teams where you know GMs were just like I'm not Swinging for the fences. I'm not doing anything crazy. Um, think of Portland and and Neil Olshay as an example, right? Whereas now, I think, I think there's a couple of NBA GMs that need to call Neil Olshay and be like, "How did you do the just stand pat and relax?" Because a lot of teams need to relax. None of y'all are a swing away from the championship. None of y'all are swing away from you know a Steph Curry ankle sprain to you guys being in the conference finals. It's like. Seven teams that that's the case, man. And, like, the rest of you guys need to just play out the string and be content to be an also-ran NBA team. Can I undercut everything we've said right now and and (laughs) pitch a wild trade? (laughs) Please do. Okay, so know how I said before that the Sacramento Kings... are not the type of team that could get in on the star trade market? You're just contradicting not only us, but yourself now. <laughs> I'm just throwing ideas against the wall, man. This is this okay. is a, a long-form discussion this podcast. This is Justin's Woody Allen movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're just starting take, a dialogue. Yeah, that will take way too long to explain that reference. Um, what if the Kings are the team that, that gets really bold here and decides, you know what, Zach Levine, we almost had you once. Why don't you come home? to Sacramento and to complete the run and gun new version of the Phoenix suns that they have going here. It's Zach Levine for Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes, both of whom are, are just contracts. Let's just be honest. And let's just say however many first it takes three first round picks. And so now you are rolling out a starting five of the Aaron Fox, Zach Levine, Kevin Herter, uh, Keegan Murray, and your, our guy, Demonis Abonis. They're they're I'm the intrigued. type of team, I guess, is what I'm saying. I'm like, intrigued. I'm intrigued by that. They're in on the I, now. Let's let's be even more in. Well, how about this? How about this, Justin? Do something this year with this group. Let this group show you what they can do. Then, but you just said the Cavs if, didn't. The Cavs, Cavs, like didn't make it out of the play-in. That was a fine that's season. Fair. That's fair, but you know the thing about the Cavs is that they got guys calling their second best player Wilt Chamberlain, Kevin Garnett, <laughs> right? Like so, right. The, you know the 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 Kings don't have that, right? They don't have these. This have you guy. not seen Metu on a good night? <laughs> <laughs> they don't have that. The, the Kings have like 
you know, besides Keegan Murray, like most of these guys are like vets, you know? Like, so let this group of vets show what they can do collectively and then be like, all right, maybe we can upgrade this thing. Maybe we don't like how it looked when we were the seventh seed or the sixth seed or whatever, and we want to get into the fourth and third seed convo, you know, maybe. But I, I think it's, it's too early, and especially because they haven't even completely sorted out who they are yet. You know, they're still becoming the team that they're going to be. Um, so I think it's a little early for them, man. Plus, like, I'm just not looking at one of the better offensive teams in the NBA and saying More they offense. need Zach Levine. Like, I, I, it would make them better. But I feel like leaning into it that hard when your defense needs this much help is kind of defeating the point, especially when if you're going to put Zach Levine on that team, you're taking minutes away from either Kevin Herter or or Malik Monk, who've been two of their best players this season. Like, mm-hmm. again, it's another one of those cases where, yes, you were getting the obviously Zach Levine is better than both of those guys. But the offset in terms of what you already have is probably doing a little bit of a disservice to to kind of the construction of the team for now. I'm just going gun blazing. We're not worried about defense anymore. We're scoring 150 every night. Happy to trade Zach Levine this summer. You watch. (laughs) Yeah, they will be more than happy to Jimmy Butler his ass. Trust. There are lots of teams who I would love to see Zach Levine like punch up what they do. The Kings just like aren't at the top of that list for me personally. Okay, so who who's on your list? If if you had like a Zach Levine dream scenario, great question. We talked about the Mavs last week. The Mavs make some sense. They obviously make some sense. I mean, the, the hard part with him is a lot of the a lot of the places where he's maybe most needed and like his dynamism and like let's just let's just kind of lay it out. What Zach Levine does best is he's a really versatile shooter. Can obviously mm-hmm. hit pull-ups at a high rate. Also a great catch and shoot movement guy, like really fluid in terms of moving around the court and shooting from lots of different angles. That's a skill that's almost universally valuable. But obviously, so if you're a team that's already strapped for spacing, and that's where like our conversation earlier about like would Memphis not be served trading for a guy like that? I think they might be. Like he might be a little redundant with Desmond Bain for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but a team like that could certainly use him. Like I, I, the Heat, if they wanted to put some, I don't think they can move Hero yet. But if they wanted to do something around Hero, because he's obviously just Hero way better, um, he, would, he would be an exceptional fit with the Heat. Yeah. And even team, even teams like if the Jazz wanted to push some stuff in, and kind of like get get even a little punchier, you don't like that? Wow. Mm-mm. No. Well, Mm-mm. I'm just like the Jazz now are trading for stars. <laughs> it's just like my they head just is spinning. beat the shit out of New Orleans last night. Just kick the crap out of them up and down the floor. A team I'm, that's allegedly tanking. The Pelicans, the, the greatest dynasty in history, just <laughs> lost to the Jazz. Jazz must be incredible. <laughs> I don't know why you're intent on sitting on the corner that the Pelicans aren't really good when they're clearly really good. Very good. I think everyone just acts like they're the greatest team in history. He hates New Orleans. He scarred (laughs) it. All them beignets he had back in his beat writing days, he scarred from it. Zion scores 20 points. He's like, magnificent. He's the greatest player in history. He's (laughs) Wilt plus John Stockton plus Zach. He's pretty freaking good. He's very good. I just like... Let's just be rational about how good they are. Anyway, I know every story is about trauma these days, but someday we're going to have to unpack your New Orleans <laughs> yeah. thing. This Seriously. whole situation is it's not good. Dude. What happened? I, I, I feel like I have an average <laughs> opinion about it and everyone else is crazy. That's the problem. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Levine makes a lot of sense in Miami. Um, I'm trying to think, though. I guess the Knicks, 
I've always would have loved to see him on the Sixers instead of James Harden. Although like you would need Man. 10 Dr. Fleischmann's for that team at that point, considering all the, the lower Dude. body trauma that they've had. That's the thing about Zach, man. His injury stuff scares the hell out of me. If I'm a team trading for that pick, trading for that deal, and just the, the the myriad of you know leg injuries, knee stuff, yeah. He's a guy I would love to see on the Raptors too, to kind of circle back on our previous oh conversation. My God, finally, a dude that shoots it and create <laughs> on his own. <laughs> Lord, go figure. I mean, you think about like all the good things that Fred Van Vliet does for that offense and Zach does a lot of them at a higher level. And if you can have both of those guys, you know, bully for it. I love that. Yeah, I, I would love the Raptors to clarify something with, with a star player. I don't know who that is and if they're going to do that just because Messiah is so good at finding guys like with the 59th pick in, in the draft and turning them into like a steady rotation player. So uh, maybe they don't need to, but yeah, I, I mean, I've really enjoyed the Siakam Renaissance this year, as I've said. So, so you're, saying, but, don't, you're saying don't give up Christian Coloco in the deal. That's where you're drawing the line? Listen, I've said this before. I think one of my favorite things of the season is listening to Jack Armstrong get excited over Christian Coloco. It is just a joyous occasion. Coloco! <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, since we're already talking about wild trades, let's get to our suggestion box. I don't think we have a jingle yet. Rob, do you want to kick something off here? Absolutely not. I need, okay. I need months to prepare. You know, I have, a, I have an extensive process. Like, I really need to get in the lab with that kind of stuff. You need to gargle some uh, salt water. Yeah. Um, but today's suggestion box is presented by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Unlimited 1.5% cash back is just the beginning. Earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, 3% on dining, including takeout, 3% at drugstores, and 1.5% on everything else. How do you cash back? Learn more at chasefreedom.com. Restrictions and limitations applied. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Uh, Isaiah is not here this week. Uh, so our voice of Gen Z is going to be manned by me, a, a <laughs> tried and true washed ass millennial. Um, this week's suggestion comes from Jeff C and Jeff C has a trade based on our discussion last week about the Timberwolves and Hawks. He is proposing a challenge trade, a loser leaves town challenge trade. And I just have to mention that he left the pun of loser leaves towns challenge trade on the table. So I'm going to clean That's an that editor's up brain him. right there. You know, there you go. Just punch it. Um, so this trade is the Hawks get D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards. The T-Wolves get Trey Young and Justin Holiday. He has a big description here, including throwing me in to the T-Wolves side to make the money work. I don't think the Wolves could afford me, frankly. Um, but he says trade makes both teams better, probably in short and long term. Who says no? Who says yes? <laughs> I don't, yeah, like, I don't... I just, I mean, the the Rudy and Trey Young dream internet scenario has been around for so long. Um, just the idea that they offset each other's glaring weaknesses so well. Um, what about the what about the Trey and Carl Towns collective vibes? How do you feel about I'll that? Say it will be, it will be oh, explosive. My God, dude, all the way around. On and the then court. get a Rod in there as ownership. <laughs> Three of the best sports personalities of my life. <laughs> what do we think about it from Atlanta's side? I kind of I love it getting 
Anthony Edwards to Elena, bring him back to his Georgia roots, give him a team that isn't cluttered with 90 centers in his path anymore. I do like, okay, this is why this is a good trade to consider because I do feel like it's pretty clarifying from Atlanta's point of view. Like if you were going to think about trading Trey Young, what do you need to get back in return? I think it has to be a guy who's like clearly a franchise player. And yeah. to me, Anthony Edwards is not at that threshold yet. Not like yet. he's he's very good. We, he's going to have a bright future. Good about it happening this season, you know, the third year leap, that kind of thing. The 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 way the the abilities he flashed in the first round of the playoffs, both on offense on defense, it was like, oh, if he could carry that into this regular season, that would be something crazy. But as we as we know, because we're NBA dorks, um, growth and and maturity isn't linear in this league. The guys don't just go up, 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 up in a way. Like, you know, sometimes there's, there's backslides. And I think he's had a bit of a backslide. But roster construction has to do with it. And I like I just like the idea of Atlanta becoming just a supercharged sort of we're all in on athleticism and just physicality, right? Um, between him and Murray and and Collins and the Kongu and the kind of guys that would remain, they would be probably the most athletic team in the league by then, which, you know, maybe not a lot of skill, (laughs) not a lot of finesse, not a lot of, uh, you know, uh, shooting and all that kind of stuff, but they would be a really, really athletic team. I'll be honest. I was never a big believer on the Anthony Edwards. This is the year he was going to dominate the league conversation. And I kind of went along with it, knowing that I didn't totally believe it. And I'm kind of like, Okay, this feels more right. I still okay. think he's going to be very I, I'm good. I'm starting to believe that Justin is Fleischman. He just really <laughs> is. I never believed it, but I just kind of went along with it. Like, watch the show, guys. You guys will understand exactly what I'm talking about. The level of neurosis that just, <laughs> Justin is exposing on this podcast is it's not healthy for any of us to be to have to listen to this. I didn't I mean, believe listen. it, but I kind of went along with it is the tagline of that damn show. Well, I mean, this is what podcasts do. It's more intimate medium. So like you're getting a glimpse at that me unfiltered pretty much here. But Mm. no, yeah, no, I I think Edwards could be very good. But like, I think there was a lot of talk about him just being like the guy this year. And I never really bought that. And so like, I feel like he's recalibrated to a certain extent. Um, And I I would actually calibrated because they've made the things you need to figure out harder. That's true (laughs) too. Yeah. Like, uh, these things, like, figuring out how to find spaces and creases with two centers on the floor from the perimeter is an expert-level job description. It's not, like, this is not beginners. He's playing on all Madden right now with the way the roster's constructed. So, yeah, he's he's not, he hasn't taken to it. He hasn't figured it out. Imagine he got to play in a five-out like they do in Utah. I think he could figure that shit out. I bet you he can figure that out. Surround him with four shooters, just attack and just pass when they send two two your way. Yeah, I bet you it'd be a lot easier for him to navigate than, you know, the sort of morass that's happening in in, in, um, Minnesota. Yeah, I think that's going to be the that's going to be the big question with Edwards going forward is his judgment and his ability to read those kinds of complex situations. And some of them are not even just what the Wolves are building or the team around him is building. It's playoff level defenses. Mm -hmm. It's like evolving situations because yeah, the athleticism is there. The burst is there. We know the talent and the skill. Uh, The jumper can be especially deadly in some stretches, but 
we just have a lot to see. And and for everything, all the criticisms we've lodged about Trey Young on this podcast, that is not really a question. Like he's still one of the most profoundly talented playmakers and offensive players in the league, and a guy who can read those situations if you give him enough to work with. So yeah, I, I don't really I don't really see this from from either team's perspective based on what they currently have. But we hate it for the Wolves, right? We're all in agreement. I hate it, I hate it for everybody. <laughs> I hate it, I hate it for both teams. I hate it for us. I hate it for the world. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff C. <laughs> I you know, I don't hate Jeff C and I don't hate <laughs> this topic of conversation. I really do think it's a good way to kind of interrogate what Ant and what Trey bring to the table and like what their particular values are. I do think it's great for that. Yeah. All right. That's it for suggestion box. Um, I will just say that there's one that we got a couple days ago that, that uh, tries to bring forward a Waz's white player of the week award. Uh, I, I respect it. We love it, but we can't read that on air. So <laughs> uh, not maybe for that will sponsored segment guys. <laughs> that will, that will be uh that'll be for the Patreon. We'll eventually have to start up in order to pay the bills. Um, it's not going to bring out the sponsors we want. I don't think. All right. But you know what sponsor we do love? Chase, because today's suggestion box was presented by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Earn big time with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, 3% on dining, including takeout, 3% at drugstores, and 1.5% on everything else. How do you cash back? Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A., member FDIC. All right. I think that's it for us. Uh, thank you to Eduardo Ocampo on production, filling in for producer Isaiah on the Gen Z chair today. Uh, go watch Fleischman is in Trouble and you might be able to understand half of the jokes on this podcast or maybe don't because it's a mediocre Woody Allen ripoff. Wow. Okay. Oh, All right. Boo All this right. man. End this show. Okay. We'll be back next week. We'll see you.